Hello, Minnesota boxing fans, and welcome to the Minnesota Fight Night Podcast. I'm Brian Johnson. My co-host, Sean Strauss, is off today, but he will return shortly. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Louis de Cubas, a legendary boxing promoter, manager, and partner in Warriors Boxing Promotions. In his many years in the boxing business, de Cubas has worked with numerous world champions and top contenders, including the likes of Joel Casamayor, Mike Tyson, and Roberto Duran. A native of Cuba, Louis defected to the U.S. with his family as a young boy. He ended up in Minnesota, where he made friends with many others in the Cuban community, including Minnesota Twins great Tony Oliva. Louis talks about the Minnesota boxing scene, his Cuban boxing connections, his life in Minnesota, and much more. He also shares some great stories about Roberto Duran and gives his take on what would have happened if Cuban boxing legend Teofilo Stevenson had faced Muhammad Ali. This is the first of a two-part interview. I hope you enjoy it. Wait, first of all, thank you very much for, for joining us on the podcast. No, thank you. No, thank you for having me. Very happy to be on your podcast. Well, great. So you're in Miami, I understand. Is that right? Correct. Right here in Miami. <laughs> how are things out there and how are you dealing with the pandemic? Well, it hasn't been, it's been very difficult. You know, here at one time, it's probably the highest in the world, you know, daily, the county, you know, 3,000, 3,500 cases a day. So, you know, basically me and my wife just stayed home here, you know, and didn't go out much. And, you know, we're very careful because we took it very seriously. And, 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 and uh, so we, you know, I've been, I've been just staying home a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Well, I wonder if you could maybe introduce yourself to listeners who aren't familiar with your story. I understand you're a native of Cuba and came here to the United States at a very young age. Well, basically, even though I was born in Cuba, I always consider uh, Minnesota my hometown. I, I, I left Cuba in 1966. I was nine years old. My father was a doctor. And me, my father, and my mother left Cuba in 1966 in the Freedom Flights. We were in uh, Opalaka, you know, for uh, I think it was three days, and I think March 19th, 1966. We landed in uh, Minneapolis. I think that uh, we were welcomed with 27 inches of snow, uh, and uh, and that was uh, my, you know, that was my uh, my introduction into Minneapolis. You know, it was. Uh, my hometown, the people were tremendous. I know the church helped us. They furnished our, our house. They gave us the clothes to wear. So those are thoughts, you know, those are memories I'll never forget how good uh, the Minnesotans were to, to me and my family. You know, I'll never forget that, you know. I understand you had some connections to the, the Cuban community here and specifically to some of the Minnesota Twins players. Is that right? Yeah, well, I was, I, was very, I was very lucky. My grandfather, Carlos Sarza, which he's buried there in Minnesota, he was, uh, you know, an old Cuban catcher that caught Adolfo Luque. He was actually in the Negro Baseball Leagues, you know. He, he, he played with Satchel Paige and Josh Gibson and Cool Papa Bell. And, and uh, he was the main uh, catcher for Adolfo Luque. If you look him up in the Negro Leagues, Almandara, Cuba, 27-28. Carlos Zarza, Z-A-R-Z-A. And uh, he was one of the great Cuban catchers. And, and the story on him was when and where all the Cuban ballplayers in the early, you know, 59, 60, they're, 
who are, you know, playing in the United States, Soil Versailles, Tony Oliva, Camilo Pasquale, you know, Tony Perez, you know, Cookie Rojas, you know, Mike Cuellar, you know, the list goes on and on. We're in, here that there was a guy in Cuba, which basically, you know, with, with his name was Yanusta. And he was just, he worked for Castro for the, basically the sports. He, went, he wanted to keep track of what the Cuban athletes were doing abroad. So he asked my grandfather, it's a great story, you know, to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, to, he asked my grandfather, hey, you know, we want some information who's leaving Cuba, you know? So my grandfather, which was very, he had a very bad temper. And uh, he, he basically told him, what do you think I am? I'm gonna snitch on these guys? I'm not snitching on nobody. So they told, they told, they told my grandfather, they couldn't put him in jail because all the baseball players loved him so much. So what they told me, you got, you know, 72 hours to leave the country. So my grandfather took out to Puerto Rico where he started working with St. Terce Baseball Club, which Frank Robinson was the manager, you know, and that was his, his end with, you know, with Robinson and all the Orioles and all that. But basically when we moved to Cuba in 1966, my grandfather stayed in Puerto Rico until about 1967, 68, and he got, he came and started living with us in 50th and Sheridan, Minneapolis. And, and uh, he started living with us. And at that time, you know, you had Soil of Versailles, you had, you know, you had Camilo Pasquale at the time was playing for the Senators, but you had Rod Carew, Cesar Tobar, Tony Oliva. And, uh, you know, these guys were all, you know, my, my grandfather was friends with all of them. So, I, you know, I, I would have Rod Crew come by and pick up my grandfather. And, uh, you know, Rob Lear was my childhood friend. He'd go to a lot of these games with us, you know. And, and uh, Soil of Versailles, you know, he, him and my grandfather were very, very close from the Cuban days. And uh, he was very close, my grandfather, very close to me. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and so I spent a lot of the time with Soil Tony, you know, Tony to this day when Morel won the world title, I was talking to him on the phone about this Cuban sensation from Miami. He was so proud, you know, just living in Minnesota, you know, right now. His hometown is Minnesota, Morel, David Morel. Yeah. Was, Tony, was, Tony was very proud of that. And uh, basically, you know, so I had a you know, connection with all the Cuban ballplayers throughout growing up. One of the great stories, baseball stories that I can remember was, uh, the California Angels were in town, and, and, and Joe Askey was a catcher for the California Angels. And Orlando Pena, I told, I talked to him about the story the other day. He was a relief pitcher for the California Angels, submariner. And they told my grandfather, Sarza, we want you to take a look at this kid back here. And the Twins' bullpen was in right field. Mm -hmm. So my grandfather said, yeah, let's go back. I was, I was a young kid, you know. <laughs> I was like 13 years old. And, you know, and my grandfather said, man, this kid throws aspirins. He tells Askew, yes. Those aspirins. Is once he starts touching the, you know, the plate back and forth, he's going to be one of the great ones. My grandfather tells us, right? And uh, and Orlando Payne, you got, yeah, we just got him for Jim Fergosi. His name is Nolan Ryan. You know? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, wow. just, they, they just traded Jim Fergosi for Nolan Ryan, and they were kind of like showing my my uh, my grandfather this great picture they got, this young kid they got from from you know from, from the New York Mets. You know, I have a lot of great uh, you know memories in baseball. You know because of my, you know, through my grandfather. So, you know, it's, I have a great, great, great history there in Minnesota. And, and my grandfather's buried right there, close to where Hubert Humphreys is buried. And, uh, and uh, he's, he was buried actually in a Soil of Versailles suit. Okay, he put on a Soil of Versailles suit on, you know. Wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. Those so are some great, great history.
some great stories there. Um, but you mentioned you mentioned David Morrell, so we might as well talk about him now. Um, seeing him in action, as you mentioned, he won a world title in what his third pro fight. Um, just prodigious talent. And uh, what can you what can you say about him? And uh, where is he at in his development? Well, you know, I, uh, you know, I've been in the Cuban boxing business from, you know, from the, you know, the Morel Boltlift guys have come over, you know, to Laura Gonzalez in 91 and Casa Mayor Garbay, Juan Carlos Gomez, 96, 97. So I've been running the career of all the Cuban fighters for basically, you know, 30 years. And when I took a look at this kid Morel in the world championships of Russia, he had beat the Ukrainian, he had beat the Russian, he had beat everybody. I said to myself, this is one of the great ones, you know, he, does, he fights all, you know, three, four distances. And so I did a little bit more research and, and I saw it, a page that's on, on YouTube is when he fights Santa De La Cruz. De La Cruz is a two-time gold medal winner. He was 27 years old at the time. And I see the 17-year-old guy fight this guy, mm -hmm. you know, and shorten the distance on him and, you know, actually wins every round. And of course, they lifted De La Cruz's hand because they had to bring him to the Brazil games. And uh, I said, this kid is one I really can really fight. So then I said to myself, you know, here's a perfect situation. You know, my nephew, Ned Abdul, owns the armory. You know, it's, it's, it's a great, you know, great boxing venue. Yeah. All days, you know, they used to have all the great fights there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to bring this kid to this, this arena at that time, you know, Jamel James was getting hot, you know, and he was making a lot of noise. And, and uh, you know, and I saw Jamel James fight. You know, when he fought the, the Mexican, Mexican kid, it was real tough. DeMarco, a real tough kid. Yeah, yeah. And I thought this DeMarco worked the body on, on, on Jamel James, and James wasn't going nowhere. And I said, man, I wonder who's, who's making that kid's body strong. You know, I said, man, that kid's in good shape. You know, that kid knows how to fight. He's, you know, he's a good pro, I kept saying. You know, and he's getting better and better every time. So, you know, I started doing my research and I found out about, you know, Donis Fraser and, and Shankara and the work they're doing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said to myself, this is a perfect scenario. Take them to Minnesota, which are great sports fans, mm -hmm. you know, let them live there, let them learn the, the language, which he already has inside of one year. Mm -hmm. And I can make this kid there a star, you know, Tony will come to the fights, you know, watch this kid, you know, this kid's a real McCoy, you know. Mm -hmm. So I said, this is a perfect scenario, you know. Now I, I watched him work with the Donis Fraser and the conditioning, the, his condition in his body, mm -hmm. and basically he does the same work as Leo Talasides did, the guy that conditioned Marvin Hagler, you know, which is all that floor stuff, all that old school stuff. And I said to myself, this is a perfect guy, you know. And Shankara's got, you know, both great experience, one of the great, great trainers from Minnesota, you know, he's trained most of the great Minnesota fighters. And the job he's done with Jamel James, that that itself speaks for itself. And it is a great, great scenario. You got my, my, my nephew does four shows a year for PBC, which is national television on Fox. You know, uh, you got great conditioner. The kid will learn the language there. And these, these people in Minnesota, which are my hometown, are going to get behind this kid. You'll have fans. And I think it's a perfect situation to become a star there in Minnesota. So I, you know, we were very fortunate. And then the second professional fight, he fought Rankin, which is the guy who had gone the distance with Chad Dawson. And, and everybody thought I was crazy to put this kid in with, with this Rankin guy on national television with two professional fights. How could you put him in with this guy? This guy, 
took uh, Chad Dawson the distance, you know. Yeah. So I said, no, we'll make the fight. And 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 basically, Morrell came out there and, 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 and you know crushed him. You know, made a hit, knocked the guy out in two rounds. Yeah. And I started looking at all the credentials, some of the things he's done, and I'm amateur. And I came out and I said, hey, you know, the next move is we love we love like Ty Lamachenko's record of winning a world title in three, three professional fights. Mm-hmm. TV picked it up. The WBA ranked him. And all of a sudden, we fought, we were in, in line you know, to fight Lennox, Land, Lennox Allen for the WBA interim world title, vacant title. So it was a great opportunity. And, and we were supposed to fight him in April. You know, the corona came across and, and you know, shot us down. And, uh, you know, later it was rescheduled for one of the first fights on PVC from, from the studios in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It was a, you know, difficult camp, but, you know, Shankar and, and, and Adonis are, you know, great professionals. And he went to camp, I think, in, you know, two hours away from Vernon, I think, two hours away from, from Minneapolis. And, uh, and, 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 and they got these guys in tremendous shape. And they really didn't have much sparring either because not a lot of people wanted to go up there during coronavirus to spar. Yeah. You know, we didn't want to have, we didn't want to take no risk because Jamel James was the, the main event on national television and, and, and David was a semi-main, so they were all camped together. So we didn't want to get the whole camp sick, you know, right. so we kept the small family up there and, and, and thank God, you know, uh, they were very smart. They brought Morel, you know, three pounds under 65, knowing that, you know, it's, they maybe can't go outside a run or anything. They were very smart, very professional. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it was a great night for Minnesota boxing. You know, there was two world yeah. champions. And, uh, you know, it was great. You know, like I think two years ago, we had a great night for Minnesota boxing with Caleb Truex won the 51 underdog and beat the girl for the title. And I was very mm-hmm. proud to be part of that. It was the upset of the year. Mm-hmm. But now the other night, I mean, I tell you, you know, these two guys there, you know, they're going to keep a lot of people in Minnesota excited about boxing. These, these, you know, Jamel James and, and Burrell because – they're the real McCoy, you know, and I think, you know, I think Caleb's going to make good fights here too still at, uh, at the Armory. Well, absolutely. You mentioned the, the Armory, of course, and what a great venue. And just talk about the Minnesota boxing scene in general and and are, are people around the boxing world starting to take notice now of Minnesota? Well, you know, it became a, a basically one of the great boxing venues. It's known all over the world now because, you know, PVC and, and Mr. L. Heyman bring, you know, the cars to, to Minneapolis. Fox loves it. So, you know, it's the nicest TV venue in the country. I mean, the fans, you know, you got a full house. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful venue. I mean, it's like a huge nightclub, you know, old-style nightclub in, in a boxing venue, and every seat's good, and people have a great time. And they're putting on world-class fights, you know. Uh, you got a great commission, and, uh, you know, you got Bobby Burnett, you know, which is great boxing man. You know, he's one of the commissioners there, which is brother Tommy Burnett, which started boxing with him in, in 1981, 82. I started with Tommy from St. Paul. And Brian, I fought him, we fought for the world title with me at Patricio Leva in 1986. So I got a lot of history there in, uh, in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Let's talk a little bit about some of the other fighters you've worked with. I know um, you worked with uh, Joel Casamayor and Roberto Duran. I, I I know people have given you credit oh, for actually reviving Duran's career after a lot of people thought he was finished. And um, what was it like working with those guys? I mean, Duran is a legend. Well, Duran was Duran was actually uh, 
a guy that, you know, I always looked up to. I remember I went to see him fight Ray Leonard at Montreal at the, at the Met Center where the nurses used to play, and it was the full house. And he, but he actually upset that day, you, you know, when he, you know, Leonard was a young 24-0 undefeated, you know, uh, gold medal winner, and Durand was, you know, 35-pounder coming up in weight. It was probably one of the greatest wins in, you know, Latin boxing history, you know, when he did that. And, yeah, I became a huge fan of him. And uh, actually, you know, we, it, you know, a great story is me and my actual wife now were dating. And uh, we were at my sister's house and we watched Davey Moore against Roberto Duran, June 16, 1983. And she says to me, she goes, man, I bet because I was starting boxing. I was like, man, you should work with that. And, you know, I never thought of it. All of a sudden, you know, 1985 comes around, and and uh, I was handling Jose Rivalta, which got 10 rounds with Mike Tyson. And this buddy of mine goes, hey, I got Duran. He's coming back. He's, uh, you know, he wants to make a comeback fight, you know. He doesn't you know, you know, I was young, you know. He goes, maybe you could talk to the guy and convince him. And uh, basically, me and this guy, you know, went to pick him up at the airport. He must have weighed like 220 pounds, you know. He was real heavy, you know. And, and he goes, ah, you're going to be my manager. Give me a hundred bucks. You know, that's the first thing the guy says to me, right? And he already had been a millionaire a couple of times, you know. So I brought him to uh, to the hotel in Coral Gables. And uh, and uh, I remember I put him there. And I, and I and at that time, I was broke, too. So we, we I, the, the manager will tell you know, the Greek guy, he goes, I'll give you a break. When he fights, he's fighting Victor Claudio. Me and Chris Dundee did the show at the, at the Miami Beach Convention Center. And he says, when he fights this guy, don't worry, take care of the hotel bill, you know? So he was really nice to me. And uh, the Chattoo Blue, I think it was called. And uh, so he was, he, the guy would run like, you know, like nobody thought he could make the weight. The weight was like 163, you know, like two months later. And the guy would run, you know, two, two to three times a day. He would eat watermelon, you know, and, he was, and you know, he, he would make weight. But the, the, great, the great story, the day of the first fight that I had, professional fight I had with Durant, and, you know, I remember, you know, Chris Dundee and Angela were very influential in my boxing career. And, uh, you know, I remember Chris, oh, this guy, he's, he's, you know, he's not easy to deal with, this Duran, right? So I was in the dressing room before the Victor Claudio fight, and Duran looks at me and he goes, what's this young, like, he didn't even look at the tape, but he didn't care. He goes, what's this young guy I'm about, what's he all about, the young guy? I said, and he said Spanish. He said, don't worry, you're the great Roberto Duran, you go out there. So basically, you know, Durant won a 10-round decision. He, he was a tough fight. You know, he knocked the guy down to the 10th round. And, uh, you know, we, the house was sold. You know, everybody came to see him. And that was my first fight with Durant. And then uh, I remember I was watching a happy Lara fight against Victor Davila in Barranquilla, Colombia. And I saw this guy, Juan Carlos Jimenez. He was like the number five contender in the WBA. And I go, I think Durant can beat this guy. So I took the tape to Duran to a discotheque. Richard Famous is the name of the discotheque. And I said, Roberto, what do you think of this guy? He even looked, yeah, he's fine. Bring him home. Bring him here. And, uh, and uh, you know, I remember it was at that time, we had to get the guy like 55000 you know. And there was a local promoter, you know, Willie Martinez, this guy, you know. And he bet promoter. I said, listen, we got to have Duran fight at the, at, the, at, you know, at the Knight Center. Ribalta had just gotten 10 rounds with Tyson. She said, you can put Ribalta on the card. You know, the Cubans love him now. You'll sell out the arena, you know, and it'll be a great night for you. So he put up the dough. He put up the money. 
okay? And I remember that, that at, remember those fights, the weigh-ins for the day of the fight. They were in the morning in the fight. They didn't were the, the day before. The weigh-in was, was held in, the, in a very famous Cuba's, Cuban night, nightclub, okay? And Duran had high, high blood pressure. I mean, I don't know what happened. I couldn't get his blood pressure down. Okay, finally, the doctors gave him the break. They finally got him. They approved him the fight, okay? And uh, this guy was a rugged, rugged guy, like really rugged, right? And I remember I was uh, helping, uh, you know, like asking some questions during the TV telecast. And uh, Duran, in about the first round, he got clipped, like really bad. The tape, I think, is on YouTube. He got clipped with a real bad right hand. He got, you know, he, he got hurt. Nobody survived around. And about the fourth round, he looked at me and he goes, hey, this ain't no dove. Because I kept telling him, this is a dove you're fighting. You know, this ain't no dove. This guy's an animal, you know. <laughs> he won the decision. He got ranked. So now we're fighting, uh, we're fighting uh, a guy named Jeff Lannis in Chicago, 1987. Okay. And this guy was a local guy favorite, you know. And basically, he was, uh, you know, Durant didn't even train for the fight, basically. You know, he went into the fight. You know, not very, very good aim. And, and it was a very difficult fight. Duran got his hands lifted. And off that tape, there was a guy named Jamil Shade, which is, was my partner with, with a lot of the Cuban fighters and with Sugar De Leon. We had Quito Trinidad together. And uh, he, he, he was able to, to take this tape and, and give it to Stan Hoffman, which at that time was managing Barkley. And, and Lenny Menudo, and, and they looked at this tape and they said, you know, give Durand, Mr. Suleiman said, give Durand the last opportunity. He can't win the middleweight title. So Barkley, everybody looked at the tape, and they saw, I shot Durand. You know, the guy, you know this guy can't beat, beat Barkley. Barkley has got done beating Hearns, you know, and, hurt, and hurting Hearns, you know, and he was on top of his game. Yeah. So basically, you know, what they didn't get is Durand, when he knows he wins and he's going to make a lot of money, he's a very difficult guy to beat. And uh, he went to camp. It's actually in his book. I mean, he mentions the, the thing. I got great sparring for him. I think that was the whole key to the fight. You know, I got uh, Sullivan, which is a fighter from Ohio, real good fighter, which fought for the 68-pound title. Okay. And, 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 and another kid from, uh, from uh, Arizona, the name will come to me. But basically, it was great sparring. We got, he got ready for the fight. He came in 156 pounds in the Barkley fight. He was an eight to one dog. Okay, it was 89 in uh, Trump Plaza. You know, Donald Trump put up the money for the fight. You know, it was top rank, but Donald Trump sit there in the first row watching the fight. He was an eight to one dog. When he was in the dressing room, the whole the whole game plan was to box the guy. You know, the guy's just an aggressive guy. He's going to come try to take your head off. So kind of box the guy, right? So that was the whole game plan for two and a half months, the way we spar, that's the way we train. When the guy, Duran gets into the ring, he starts moving around, he feels the, 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 the ring, and he comes up to me, you know, he's my, the, my daughter's godfather, he goes, compa, he says, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna slug with this guy. Okay, and I go, oh, man, you know, what do you, what do you mean you're gonna slug with this guy? And I figure out why he meant that. So he basically started trading with Barkley back and forth, okay? It was the fight of the year, you know, uh, uh, Durant knocked him down in the 11th round uh, and uh, in a very, very grueling fight. It was the fight of the year, 1989. Mm -hmm. And uh, and when I, I remember the first thing Durant said to me when I went into the ring, he goes, after the, he goes to me, uh, you know, hey, if I were to box this guy, I, I, I would have had no legs because I was fighting on a cushion. They made the, the, the ring real, 
big, so Durant would get tired, you know, so Durant fought him inside. He changed game plan in the ring. Mm. You know, he won a decision. And, uh, and uh, basically, it was, it was a, you know, great, great, one of the greatest wins ever. You know, Durant became a four-time world champion and he was 37 years old, which nobody's ever done that. You know, when Trinidad tried taking the, the title away from Hopkins, he got knocked out. Yeah. And when De La Hoya tried to take the title away from Hopkins, he got knocked out. So Durant basically took away the title from full-fledged middleweight that beat Barkley, I mean, a, a, a Hearns twice. So it was a great, great night. We went, we, I remember we went in the dressing room, Durant be hanging and listening to this guy had all this Frankie Reese salsa music the whole time in camp. And uh, right after the win, I remember uh, 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 Donald Trump came in the dressing room and he was very, very excited. You know, so he told, you know, yeah, Mr. Duran, what a great win. I mean, he was very excited, you know, like, you want Duran? And Duran, he kept saying, no, I'm going to party with my Puerto Rican friend because I got this. He has the, zars, the salsa music. That's what he kept saying. Because <laughs> he's a big salsa guy. That's all I could remember during the fight. So it was a great night. Great night. And then, you know, of course, we fought uh, Leonard right afterwards. So not right after, right after. That fight was in February. And then we made uh, Uno Mas fight at uh, Mirage. We opened it in 1989, December 7th, 1989. Mm-hmm. It was to that date, the big payday Duran ever had, $7.5 million. So it was that, you know, it was a very cold night. And, 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 and I, Duran really, everything went wrong that night. He, you know, he, he, he lost a 12-round decision. Mm-hmm. Even though that night, I remember Leonard had like 60, stitches all over his face from the, you know, the, it was a very brutal fight, you yeah. know, and uh, that was, uh, that was, you know, from there on, we went and fought, uh, you know, Paciencia twice, you know, yeah. and fought Camacho with me once, uh, you know, we went on the USA tour and actually, you know, the last fight I had him was the second Paciencia fight, you know, and I remember King offered him the Joppy fight and I didn't want no part of it because, you know, at that time, Durant was 47 years old and I was putting him in with little guys. Now, you know, when he was old, you know, and that's when we, we went up different ways, you know. Yeah. I, was, uh, I, I think he might have kept on fighting if he hadn't been in that bad car accident. But well, he fought it too. He was 51 years old. He fought uh, Joe Goose's nephew, PJ Goose, and I think was in the state of Washington. He won a 10 round decision. He was 51 years old. Hmm. The guys, you know, you guys wanted, you know, to me, you know, you, know, you got to go with Sugar Ray Robinson without a question. He's the greatest fighter ever, that ever lived. And then you got to go with Durant or Henry Armstrong, you know, one, two, three. So it's, it's, you know, the great fighters of all time, you know. Yeah. You know, the things Durant's done, not only to win the lightweight title, he was the greatest lightweight that ever lived. You know, maybe yeah. Benny Leonard, Ike Williams, but, you know, Roberto Durant, many experts, think he's the greatest lightweight that ever lived. And to yeah. go up and beat Ray Leonard in his prime, you know, at 47. I mean, who, who could ever thought that? And everybody thought he was done after the, you know, the, the no mas in New Orleans. He comes back and knocks out Pepino Cuevas at, at the belt forearm. Then he comes back and knocks out Davey Moore in the garden, becomes the three-time world champion. Then everybody's man's career's over, and then he comes back and beats Barkley. You know, this guy is like, yeah. you know, I think it's, to me, you know, he's probably him, Roberto Clemente, and Pelé are the three greatest Latin athletes of our, of our generation, I think, in my eyes, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned that Davey Moore fight. I remember watching that on television. Moore was just a young guy, and people thought he was going to take care of business against Duran. And boy, Duran just uh, annihilated him. You know, yeah, Davey Moore, rest in peace. You know, 
he, he was a good young fighter, but he masked for Durant. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's boxing, you know, the show I've done, you know, for you know, the last 40 years, and, and I've been very lucky. I've worked with a lot of great fighters, you know. Yeah. Even I didn't work, and I didn't work with uh, Tyson whenever he was in his prime. At the end of his career, spent a lot of time with Mike, you know. And uh, we've been friends when he, since 1986 when he fought uh, uh, Jose Rivalta at Trump Plaza, which to this day, Trump's, uh, I mean, Tyson said that was his toughest fight. He said in Bring Magazine. Yeah. I worked the corner against him that night. And we became friends after the fight because he knew I was handling Duran. That was his idol. You know, Duran was his idol. So I, you know, I'm blessed to work with guys like Tyson, Wilfredo Gomez, you know, one of the great Puerto Rican superstars, you know. Mm-hmm. Tito Trinidad, the first 17 fights of his career, me and Jamil Shadev handled his career. Mm-hmm. And Eusebio Pedroza, which defended his title 22 times. I, you know, I worked with him at the end of his career. Yeah. And again, Castlemyer from the beginning on, on first four round fight, mm-hmm. all the way through, then my son over, you know, later in his career, ran his career all the way through when he beat Alcides. My son, you know, was the one running it with, with Castlemyer. And, yeah. and basically, you know, I'm so I, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been, been very lucky to handle a lot of great Cuban fighters, you know, uh, you know, Joel Castlemayor, Debelli Sertado, Bob Whitaker, uh, Randall Bailey, Constance three great HBO fights, mm-hmm. you know, junior welterweight champion, you know, Juan Carlos Gomez, I worked with him as a heavyweight, you know, uh, when, you know, he fought on HBO, again, Samuel Sam, and, and uh, you know, again, then later the, the wave of Gamboa, you know, Gamboa, we made him world champion in, in Prim Casino. The 17th mm-hmm. professional fight, and uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux made him world champion with five professional fights, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 you know it is Don Villara, you know my son, you know how many fights has he had where he's he's, he's been a champion, so you know I, I don't want to miss any of the Cuban fighters, but uh, we have a great we're gonna have a great Cuban fighter fight Saturday night in Munich, Germany for the finals of the Muhammad Ali tournament World Boxing Series. And this is maybe a guy that don't, people don't speak a lot speak a lot of. His name is Junior Dordikos. Him and uh, Maria Gossett was the fight of the year uh, on Yahoo Sports, you know, the, the, in, in uh, World Boxing Series. Then he later came out and knocked out Tabiris in the 10th round, knockout of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, now he's fighting Mar- Mar- Maris Greedish for the Muhammad Ali Cup finals, where he wins that's the best at, uh, at cruiserweights. And he's, he's a great Cuban fighter, young. And, and uh, I think it's making a lot of noise. You know, Cubans are right now are very got five world champions. You know, mm-hmm. Guillermo Rigondeaux. You know, it is Don Villara uh, and uh, Morel. You know, a world champion and Dordicos and, and 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 Jorge Romero, the Cuban kid from Las Vegas. So we're, we're you know we got a lot of world champions right now, and and I think it's a great time for Cuban boxing. And, and, uh, and you're going to be a solid, seeing a lot of great Cuban fighters fighting in Minnesota, I think, in the near future. And, and now this pandemic goes away. Yeah, well, that we're certainly looking forward to that. And one Cuban heavyweight I enjoyed watching at the Armory was Frank Sanchez. What can you say about him? Well, Frank Sanchez is doing a great job. You know, he's uh, he's actually right now training with Canelo Alvarez in his camp with uh, with uh, Canelo's uh, trainer, Reynosa. And, and I see a lot of improvement here because they're working with the left hook. And uh, he's, uh, he's improving much. You know, he's getting fighting inside a lot better, like the Mexicans to teach him how to fight inside a little bit better. And, uh, you know, he's undefeated. I think he's number seven in the world, the WBO. And he's got a, 
uh, fight uh, coming up on Fox here soon, the next month, month and a half uh, from, from from the Los Angeles studio there. And it's yeah. going to be announced by PVC. So he's, he's right there in contention. I think he's going to make a lot of noise to Frank Sanchez. You know, the Cuban boxing program's done a, a tremendous job with the, with the Cuban amateurs for only having 11 million people. I mean, they won more gold medals than anybody else, I think, in the history of mm-hmm. boxing, amateur boxing, you know. So Cuba's always had, before, even before Castro, I mean, you had Kid Chocolate, which was one of the great fighters of our generation. And you had Kid Gavilan, who fought Robinson twice, you know, which, you know, the Bull of Punch, one of the greatest welterweights that ever lived. You know, he beat everybody, Ike Williams, he beat uh, Buddha Jack, he beat, he beat everybody, you know, uh, uh, Carmen Basilio. And, uh, you know, then we had, of course, uh, Luis Manuel Rodriguez, great fighter before Castro. You had Mantequilla Napolis, you know, which mm-hmm. made his out of Mexico, but Cuban, he fought everybody. You had my Altominio Ramos. I mean, Cuba had great fighters before Castro, but then Castro took over and they, they went to pro. Mm-hmm. So they just, you know, they had, you know, Stevenson and all the great Cuban amateurs, you know, Espinosa, Guaido Gutierrez, you know, they all, all could all be great champions it was, if there were no, no communists. It was, it was interesting. There was a lot of speculation in the 70s how Stevenson would have fared against Muhammad Ali. Well, you know what, I, there was a, ESPN was, was going to do a piece on that. And I know they interviewed me for it. To be honest with you, uh, Stevenson would have had to have, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 professional fights that even, even thought he's fighting Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. They were saying that he would fight Muhammad Ali as, and fight him as an amateur to a pro. Muhammad Ali fought the, the biggest punchers in the history of boxing. George Warman, Ernie Chavers, Ron Lyle. I mean, that list goes on and on. Who did Muhammad Ali not take a punch from? So you be, what Stevenson was, it going to hurt him. Muhammad Ali would have took him into deep water and drowned him, just like he did a lot of the guys, you know, mm-hmm. like he did George Foreman. I mean, George Foreman was just as good a puncher as, as Stevenson. I'm not taking anything away from Stevenson, but I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, Stevenson the game and beat Muhammad Ali. And, uh, you know, I know Don King offered five million. He said, I prefer to be red than to take the five million or whatever that, whatever it was. He wouldn't have beat Muhammad Ali, you know, not, not, not as an amateur. No way. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the heavyweight that ever lived, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, what what can you say about um, the challenges of promoting shows and managing fighters in this COVID nineteen era? Um, just keeping fighters busy and and putting on shows in the bubble. Um, how frustrating and challenging is that? Well, you know, I got to tell you, PBC's done a great job. They're doing their Showtime shows from the Mohican side. They're doing their there are Fox shows from uh, Los Angeles studios and, and they've done great control. They, you know, it's, they, they run a very professional, you know, thank God PVC that, you know, they got, you know, Fox and Showtime, they got TV and they could do fights without audience and they put the best fights out there. I know this weekend they're going to have a pay for view fight with the Charlotte brothers. Great pay for view. You know, the Charlottes are fighting two tough guys, Dovrachenko, which is a real tough guy from Russia, you know, that had a great fight with the Lockton could have gone either way. You know, and, and the other one's fighting uh, a kid from the Dominican, Dominican and can punch holes through walls. They're both young guys and they're prime fighting each other. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you, PBC did a great job matching their fighters. You know, they got a great schedule coming up, you know, which I'm excited about. You know, you got Davis and, and, and Bella and Santa Cruz, you know, fighting for the junior lightweight title of the world. You got those, those are two, two undefeated guys that fought everybody. 
and uh, and 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 I think that that that's a great fight. And then you know you got you know they they got they got all the great Spence. You know they got Spence fight Danny Garcia. That's also a great fight. And they're doing a great fight schedule. I think you know with with the fights they're putting on. Well, folks, that wraps up the first part of our interview with Louis de Cubas. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. We'll see you next time. Thank you.